bitch is bad and bullshit. Welcome to the Bad and Bitchy Podcast. I'm Erica. And I'm Amy. And Aaron is somewhere in the country. We're not sure where. <laughs> so she won't be joining us this week. It's not helping with my abandonment issues in the <laughs> least. So, yeah. So how was your week, Amy? Uh, not bad. I feel like I was going to say something about my week, but it's all a blur right now. I know. We had municipal elections on Monday. Oh my God, was that just this week? Yes. <laughs> Fuck my life. I'm so tired. Oh, that would funny. that would explain some things. At this point, I'm just really looking forward to Halloween. I've been looking forward. I've just been watching a lot of horror movies, and I just found out that uh, my new neighborhood will be the first Halloween that I spend there has I mean I didn't just find out it has a lot of children trust me I've noticed um but that it's very into Halloween and I'm excited about that so I'm like I've decorated inside but I'm gonna decorate outside I've already bought like a shit ton of candy oh no way yeah okay so you're really into Halloween I I have a whole closet dedicated to decorations for every holiday really yeah that's that's pretty that's dedicated uh, it's corny as fuck. That's <laughs> that's who I am. How about you? How was your week? Um, it was up and down. Like it, it ended up on a high. I will say that. There you go. But um, uh, I was on CBC on Wednesday, and we were talking about the municipal elections mm-hmm. and the lack of diversity. Yeah. On count on the in the elections on council everywhere yeah and I feel like I I feel like I'm saying the same thing I should just have like a a reel that I just sure. give to people <laughs> and just be like here you go this is yeah. this is how it is or yeah. this is how I feel or whatever whatever so um, I am not so much into Halloween it's my least favorite time of year I know I've heard that somewhere <laughs> well it's only because my birthday's the day after that, that's and, tough yeah and so everybody's like let's go to a Halloween party I'm like but so anybody who has like a birthday near Christmas I yeah, get it yeah is what I'm but saying I, I can feel that <laughs> all right let's get into it so our first topic so um A group of approximately 7,300 migrants, referred to as the migrant caravan, made up mostly of Hondurans and Guatemalans, half of whom are girls and women, is moving on foot and intending to seek asylum, asylum in the U.S. They made the decision to leave their home countries, assessing that the danger of leaving was outstripped by the danger of facing violence and threats from gang forces or poverty. And they made the decision to go together instead of alone, like tens of thousands of their fellow Guatemalans and Hondurans do each year. Now, the Justice Depart- the Department of Justice and the Department of Homeland Security are developing a plan that mimics the travel ban from 2017, um, the San Francisco Chronicle and other media outlets reported Thursday night. 
President Donald Trump would issue a proclamation preventing a certain class of people from being allowed to enter the U.S. It is not clear how that class would be defined, but it would target either the caravan in particular or asylum seekers more broadly. The Trump administration appears to be laying the groundwork for a plan that would simply bar people from entering the U.S., presumably keeping Central American asylum seekers on the Mexican side of the border. Trump is sending 800 troops to the Mexican border and threatened to close the border entirely. Now, it is legal to seek asylum without papers, and the U.S. government is obligated under international law not to send anyone back to a country where they are at risk of persecution due to race, nationality, religion, political opinions, or membership in a social group. The migrants are still more than 1,600 kilometers from the U.S. border. They aren't expected to reach it until Christmas or the New Year. In other words, well beyond the elections. But that's not stopping Trump from making the midterm elections about the caravan. So what it looks like to me is that this is a very much a political ploy in advance of midterms to create, again, that um, that anxiety that white people feel when they see uh, a bunch of brown people coming towards their borders. Yeah, absolutely. And Trump has pretty much said that explicitly, that this is uh, an issue for the midterm elections, that this is uh, what the, I think he said at a campaign rally, that the midterms are about Kavanaugh and they're about the migrant caravan. And so he is absolutely using this uh, to fear monger and to get uh, folks uh, to feel that they are not just, um, you know, should be concerned generally broadly in an abstract sense, but that there is a very real and and imminent threat from migrants. They are at the doors, uh, about to break down the door and take your jobs and do all the criminal acts that he alleges that they will commit. Um, The thing that really frustrated me this week and it's not the central part of the story but it's it's, it kind of goes into the fear-mongering bit was when he tweeted that there were uh that the caravan was uh included unknown middle easterners which was just like such an like odd way of framing it and then the media jumped on the accusation and actually sent folks down like cnn had reporters there being like we tried to look around and see if we could spot any middle easterners but we didn't see any and like you know this is clearly um a ploy by um, to fear monger people's like yeah but you could have said that like there is first of all nothing to say that middle easterner like it's like it's 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 preposterous well it's just an expression well it's an expression that's used as a stand-in for terrorism and a security threat yeah which is extremely like offensive to uh i mean anyone of middle eastern descent i found it like very troubling Mm. it's an opportunity to um other and demonize um you know middle eastern uh folks with middle eastern backgrounds including immigrants and asylum seekers who are in already in the u.s like imagine you know hearing that kind of coverage but it's also just extremely ignorant like as if you're gonna send people there to be able to racial 
actually profile folks out of the migrant crowd when, as a matter of fact, like the largest diaspora of Middle Eastern people is in fact in Central America. Like a lot of former, you know, heads of states in in South and Central America have been, in fact, Palestinian people, Palestinian and Lebanese origin. Like yeah, the El yeah. Salvadorian president from 2004 to 2009 was Palestinian. Yeah, like, yeah. you know, the president of Honduras from 90, or 1998 to 2002 was Palestinian. It's like people migrate all over the world. Like there is like the reason you have El Pastor tacos is because of Palestinian <laughs> and Lebanese migrants. And it is, it yes. is, there's a reason it looks like shawarma. It's because it is. And like, you yeah. know, anyway, it's just, it's just so dumb. The fact that CNN, and like the CNN reporting was like, oh, we've seen so many acts of Christian kindness along the way. And oh charity. my gosh, are you and serious? Like, as opposed to what Muslim charity, yeah. and like <laughs> FYI, Muslim charities are some of like the most active and prolific, like charitable organizations in the world. And it's like a principal tenant of almost every you know um aspect of it like denomination of islam to be charitable so like christianities don't have the mono- christians don't have the monopoly on charitable acts of kindness as part of but anyway that's not the point it gets so far away from the point and that's what he does by pitting people against each other and by using terms like when he said like you know when he says mexican when he says honduran he is using it as a standstill for the same race like racist connotation that he says Middle Eastern. Oh, it for is sure. Purely out of fear. It's purely to fear monger. Oh, for sure. And to and to cement and validate those those um, those biases in people. Mm-hmm. And um, to be like when I when I was reading about the migrant caravan or I heard about the migrant caravan, there was there was a central boogeyman. Mm. Um, I don't know who this boogeyman was. But I honestly read this news article which talked about um, I I can't remember the name that they used the the name of the guy that there was this guy putting together this a bunch of migrants that were steamrolling towards the U.S. and uh, he's charging them each like seven thousand dollars or whatever to to and this was the story. And this came yeah. from a news outlet that was semi-reputable. I cannot remember what it mm-hmm. was. Um, but the, I, I just want to say, like, the way this is set up, the way this issue is set up is very calculated. Mm-hmm. It, so you have this central figure who is this, um, who wants to ch- somehow cheat Americans out of their birthright of America. And he's using these, these poor brown people to come and invade um, the space, America, um, without any sort of, of, of kind of context beyond those predetermined biases that people have in their minds. Mm-hmm. He is setting up this we're being run over by by barbarian hordes Mm -hmm. sort of, you know, um, um, what did what did George W. Bush call it? Crusades of some kind Mm -hmm. in connotations. I use that. I'm using Mm -hmm. quotations here, air quotes. And and it is it is the easiest thread to pull. 
and especially at a time when the country is changing, the demographics are changing. And so it's this whole idea that um, the U.S. and, you know, we repeat it here in Canada, too, Mm -hmm. um, that your birthright of the country that you live in. And when I say birthright, I mean white people and their so-called birthright, even though it's not their land, mm-hmm. um, is being is being threatened by all of these racialized people. I saw I saw something online where there was this debate, you know, one of those it wasn't the monk debate or whatever. And it said, is racial ethnicity um, a threat to the West? And I'm like, so I'm a threat now? Like, what but the also, fuck? like, that's yeah. I don't know where you. I don't know where you are online. I that's swear, deserving. it's 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 it is. But it's it's <laughs> like it's all. I mean, the frustrating thing about questions like that is the erasure of people who have been here uh, for you know hundreds of years as racialized people in this country, uh, and that we're in in North America more broadly who have like built it literally physically um and and in every sense whether it's black people obviously but also you know asian canadians yeah so many um you know populations who were early immigrants here as well Uh, but when we think of the west or when the west thinks of itself it thinks of itself as white and that is all part of perpetuating those ideas and that's because for a very long time folks from those groups were not considered citizens and so when they think of their countries they still don't think that we are of us as being citizens uh in terms of being able to vote and and participate in uh the country that they they claim to build because what they built was based on uh you know racial oppression and and in a white, uh, a whites only system. Um, what's frustrating when you say, like when you say the birthright thing, I mean, that's initially like, that's the, that's how the framing of the U S and citizen citizenship was, um, originally. And now we're at a place where we have people talking about, well, you can't have birthright citizenship because we need you to like, we need you to be able to prove this is like the new thing from the right wing. This is what the, you know, conservative uh, party recently voted to explore the option of change. I don't know. I think I'm being generous. I can't remember how that motion went, but I'm pretty sure they supported a move away from birthright citizenship. The conservative party here in Canada to, to to a system where you don't inherit your citizenship by birth. Uh, so that you would have to qualify and meet, you know, some a certain set of values. Whereas before, when you were white, they were very happy for you to inherit your citizenship by birth. And this is like this is all part and parcel with this, you know, migrant. Uh, uh, the goalposts always change, always shift when it comes to us. Mm-hmm. That's my like that is it's historic. It's historical fact that when it comes to providing the same sort of rights to people of color Mm -hmm. who have earned the right to be citizens, people of color who have earned the right of like to stay. And when I say earned, I mean like, I don't mean in a working taxpayer sense either. No, I mean, no, by being a good neighbor or whatever existing, just (laughs) existing on this earth yeah 
as so so my question then becomes why don't we strip citizenship from all the white criminals then well, in some, in some, if we're talking about contributions to society, well, I wouldn't, I wouldn't go I down know, that I path. Know, I know, I wouldn't go down. Like, I know the implications would be, would be great. But we do, for, but that but, is done in the states. There are many states where you can't vote if you have a criminal record, including Florida. And there's actually a whole uh, movement happening now about giving. Uh, uh, Con, uh, former convicts Inc. and even those who are in prison the right to vote I think should be extended but I mean yeah it, it's it is the it is a question of you know what makes you a good citizen is like really just your your whiteness or your ability to, to assimilate to this like amorphous culture which is really funny because the culture keeps like appropriating you know, other cultures picking and choosing and then it gets to say you're too far of something. We didn't pick that. So you can't, you know, you're yeah, not part you, of you're, the, you're not, you're not the value the, system. That right. We've, like you're, you don't have Canadian yeah. values or American values yeah, or even, whatever. Even though those are to. evolving and are now largely shaped on. Evolve. Yeah. Sure. Of course they have to evolve, but they're also evolve and take from the cultures that they that like mm-hmm. and people that they then say are no longer part of exactly. the Western ideal. Exactly. And that is exactly what white supremacy is. Yeah. I will I will provide um I think we need to talk about how Central America got here. For sure. I, I want to add something on that, but you go first. Yeah. I, I got a little Canadian context to All that right. too. So um let's let's not forget about uh Reagan and the Contras. Mm-hmm. Uh and U.S. CIA meddling in in Central America and in South America. Um, to this day, the reason that one of the reasons that even neoliberal capitalism even took place or took hold mm-hmm. was because of Pinochet and the Chicago Boys, you know, idea of what um how economics should be or or how countries economics should be and and should be treated and that was imported to the u.s but anyway um in terms of central america the cold war provided all sorts of justification for u.s backed regional hegemony and um the the installation of dictators by the cia through massive campaigns of murder, basically. And, um, you know, if you think of the background in terms of El Salvador, Guatemala, Nicaragua, and all of those CIA-orchestrated coups um, that that basically supported U.S. corporate interests and mm-hmm. U.S. military mm-hmm. interests. And resource extraction. And resource extraction. Yeah. And how that has um, provided the groundwork for not only a resistance movement that led to a lot of violence in those countries, Panama is another one, um, but also to... Um, the state, the economic and political state of those countries mm-hmm. and the weakening of those governments mm-hmm. and how ha- and when you have a weak government, crime takes over, too. So I, I you know. Right. But I, and I mean, even to this day, though, there are still, uh, you know, not, not quite 
dictatorships in the um, traditional sense of the word, but uh, security-centered kind of oppressive governments, including in Honduras, that still receive support from the U.S. government. That's right. Um, and, you know, intention, like, you know, keep the situation intentionally as it is. Say, of course, nothing about how uh, the U.S. war on drugs exasperated uh, the drug trade um, and, you know, and drug trafficking and it resulted in, you know, the gang violence and agreed. the you know, that's, cartel that's system thing. that um, is what's causing a lot of the immediate violence that these people are fleeing from. Yes, yes, yeah. yeah. The war on drugs and, you know, I actually posted something on this that talked about it the war on drugs has not only been an abysmal failure in terms of the lives that it has um that it has destroyed in america Mm -hmm. but it's what it's done to mexico and central and south america Uh, i do want to add to uh, a little bit to the canadian context if if uh, folks don't know you shall ha- be reading or aware of the amazing uh, author Canadian activist uh, Harsha Walia who has written a great book on uh, called Undoing Border Imperialism that's a must read in this context and um, does a lot of work around um, you know kind of no one is illegal type movements and, yeah. and that sort of thing and she wrote yesterday um Something that I just, you know, want to share better and better. uh, It's better not paraphrase, but she wrote uh, on Twitter, Canada is uh, quiet about the Honduras, uh, about migrants coming from Honduras or the migrant caravan. Canada is quiet despite the fact that 90% of mining companies in Honduras are Canadian mining companies that operate with complete impunity with lax environmental regulations causing the displacement of local communities and responsible for the murder of political dissidents. Canada is quiet despite the fact that since the 1990s Canadian companies have been the second biggest investors in Honduras and Canada and Honduras signed a bilateral trade agreement bringing more privatization corporate tax cuts for Canadian companies in Honduras. Canada is quiet despite Canada's role in the coup in Honduras that ousted President Manuel Zele nine years ago. Canada was the only country in the hemisphere that did not call for uh, Zelaya's return. Canada is quiet despite the fact that the safe third country agreement continues to be effect and makes it entirely impossible, nearly impossible for refugees from Honduras to seek safety in Canada if they arrive by land via the United States. So basically Canada is quiet, even though Canada plays a role in displacing people in Honduras and effectively it shuts its border to Honduran refugees now facing a nightmare trying to seek safety. So fuck Canadian hypocrisy. And I, uh, I just wanted to to highlight that because we are absolutely implicated. This is not just about Trump. This is not just about, um, you know, his his brand of politics of division. This is about corporate interests. It's about greed. It is about our own, you know, really, um, our, you know, uh, problematic um race-based immigration policies, migrant policies, and, and our own, I, I would even argue our own, uh, you know, violation of, uh, violations around asylum seekers and, and their rights uh, through the safe third party agreement. Uh, we've, ta- we've talked about this in the past. Um, and I think this, uh, this is no different. So if you feel strongly about this, there is a law our government can at the very least say, uh, let alone do. 
um, in in order to uh, you know actually help uh, address the situation both at the both at its root, but also with regard to migrants coming uh, into Canada. I agree. I completely agree. Our we are damn well implicated, and um, I I just I'm glad you brought that up because I want to dispel this myth that somehow we're just on the outside looking in. We are damn well part of the problem. So next. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So the effects of the 2018 voter suppression laws are being felt state by state as Republicans work across the country to restrict the number of people with policies that disproportionately target minorities who can cast ballots in the midterm elections on November 6th. Many of them, many of the new voting restrictions are are occurring in states like Georgia, North Dakota, Kansas, which have critical races in the 2018 midterms. So for a little background, in 2013, the Supreme Court struck down a key provision of the landmark 1965 Voting Rights Act that requires certain states with a history of discrimination to have changes to any voting procedures approved by the federal government. The result has been an assault on voting rights by the GOP to essentially strip those least likely to vote for them of their rights. So now Georgia... A lot of this has been happening in Georgia, where Stacey Abrams is running against Brian Kemp for um, governor and making Stacey Abrams possibly the first U.S. black female governor um, in history. So uh, Georgia, in advance of this has closed 214 polling places in recent years. They have cut back on early voting. They have aggressively purged the voting rolls. Uh, Georgia has purged almost 10% of people from its, from its voting rolls. African Americans have been harassed. And the current governor, Brian Kemp, who is running against Stacey Abrams, as I said, His office is personally blocking 53,000 voter registrations in the state, 70% of whom are African-Americans, 80% of whom are people of color, and purging more than 107,000 voters for not voting in the last election. So... um, This is done by an exact match system that was instituted in Georgia. And it is known as disenfranchisement by typo. The exact matching system that was instituted in Georgia means that if if the names on the voting registration forms didn't exactly match other state databases, these voters were sent a letter telling them that their applications were pending and that they needed to provide more info to election officials. So this led to a lot of mass confusion as people thought they weren't eligible to vote. Um, Now, people of color are disproportionately affected by this rule because the names of people who are African-American or Latino or Asian-American or Mm -hmm. other sort of 
different backgrounds, and I put different in quotations, are sometimes unfamiliar to the largely white officials that are running Georgia state elections. That means that they're more likely to have names that don't match on the databases from one form to another because the election officials themselves might have actually entered the name incorrectly because they're not used to it or they're confused by the spelling. Another reason why representation matters at the very, very base of democracy. Kansas is also uh, very interesting because uh, Chris Kobach, or is it Kobach? You guys know me in names. Kansas Secretary of State is an advocate for using a question of citizenship on the census. And this affects voting rights in the following way. Census data is used to draw voting districts. The way that voting districts are drawn is based on population, not citizenship. So every area, so everyone in a given area is counted when it comes to drawing a district and deciding what level of representation an area should have. What Kobach wants to do is to restrict those districts to only counting people who are citizens. And if you do that, areas such as Texas, New York, and California that has a lot of non-citizens would have much less representation than places where there are a lot more citizens. And even though districts have always been drawn based on total population and not this way, if Kobach has his way... um, This means that the majority of the power would shift to Republicans because generally speaking, areas with a lot of immigrants tend to vote Democrat. I mean, this is crazy to me, Mm -hmm. to be honest. Mm -hmm. And just like Ohio had a voting um, issue that was uh, struck down by the Supreme Court too recently on October 6th. Um, North Dakota is facing um, new voter ID laws that were upheld by the Supreme Court. What's alarming about this is that the Republicans in North Dakota wrote the voter ID law in such a way that for your ID to count, you have to have a current residential address on that ID. The problem with that is that there are a lot of Native Americans living on rural tribal reservations and they get their mail at the post office using P.O. boxes because their areas are too remote for the post office to deliver mail. So under this law, tribal IDs that list P.O. boxes won't be able to use their tribal ID as valid voter IDs, which means about 5,000 of them might not be able to vote in the 2018 midterms. Which is uh, in the context of North Dakota and, you know, activism around Standing Rock and so many other things. It's like especially targeted. Yes. Like there, there's no mystery why, you know, this particular drafting was used in my opinion i think it's it's targeting this group directly it's very naked yeah and very uh, it's very brash naked and bold Mm -hmm. and that 
the boldness of it is is what is what really scares me. Mm-hmm. Um, because you're right, it is specifically targeted not only to non citizens but to citizens of color, mm-hmm. and especially in Georgia. And can you tell me how Brian Kemp can just just like has the audacity and the freedom to ex to use that audacity to purge people from the voting rolls, many of whom are African American, mm-hmm. many of whom and 80% of them are people of color. Mm-hmm. Like how is this even legal? And apparently he tried to do it in 2009, but you know, because of the 1965 Voter yeah. Rights Act, he couldn't. And when they stripped that act, mm-hmm. that's when then, yeah. it was it was back. Yeah. Yeah. He yeah. brought it back yeah. and it was it was passed. So I I just <sighs> Yeah, it's 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 wild. I mean, it just every I I mean, I don't know what more there is to say on this. I think like the facts speak for themselves. Like yeah. why uh this is all super problematic. Why, you know, even the most uh, well-resourced and organized get out the vote campaigns by campaigns themselves or, or organizations with an interest in uh, improving voter turnout are going to be thwarted no matter what because of these um, very technical, uh, the very real structural impediments to voting. Um, but it's just so baffling to me the way... Um, you know the law like the law around laws around voting are construed there i mean and just even the constant how constitutional constitutional rights like that pass down and at the end of the day it is all about state rights over federal rights that's the whole reason yeah. why the uh, voting rights act was struck down by the supreme court um that the formula that it was based on was you know old and dated um, and that at this point it was infringing on state rights to differentiate their own voting right policy, voter uh, policies and, and uh, you know, in the decision, you know, Justice Roberts, you know, says, well, you know, so much has changed at the time that was really needed. I remember, but it's I just, remember that. You know, yeah. we don't need that anymore. And, and again, the, you know, based on a formula, based on an old formula, of course, that was not the case because you know congress has to renew it um on a semi-regular basis but that aside um yeah the removal of the voting rights that created this yeah huge floodgate of states uh tripping over themselves to like bar people from exercising uh their right i mean it's uh astounding so what is what's the recourse then because it seems like okay so I remember reading a few weeks ago about, um, so Charles M. Blow, who is a columnist for the New York Times, wrote about um, how he was, he was talking in the context of Kavanaugh, but he wrote about how for Republicans, this is a war. It's not just a battle here and there. Mm-hmm. This is of the future of of the country for generations and the privilege and the power and where that power is concentrated and that they have been working towards this for 30, 40 years. And we as progressives, um, I'm not going to say Democrats because I don't, 
that's more political, but um, we as progressives have to wake up and realize that there's a reason they stole the Supreme Court pick. Mm -hmm. There's a reason that they're putting Kavanaugh in the Supreme Court. Like, let's think one or two or three steps ahead Mm -hmm. and see what this means because we have the evidence. Mm -hmm. It is happening. I just don't know at this point. I even I feel like, holy fuck, this is what do we do from here? And um, I have no answer. What do you do? Because if if even if you get people registered to vote, you face voter intimidation. And even if you get, you know, the right sort of IDs in place, um, you face uh, a letter saying that you may not have the right to vote in. Mm-hmm. And it, it, it like when they say democracy is under siege, it's not. It's it's not um, what's the word I'm looking for. It's not a conspiracy theory that's being you know drudged up by certain people. I mean, there's a reason why you know somebody like Cesar Chavez or I don't know where I brought that name from is being targeted instead of John Smith. There's a reason, and I personally feel. Um, even overwhelmed at this point, even just, I didn't even look at this story for the longest time because I couldn't deal mm-hmm. with all that's happening. Mm-hmm. So what is the recourse? Do we have any recourse like as progressives to stop this from happening? Yeah. I mean, I don't know. It's, uh, it's pretty frustrating because of how, uh, fragmented it all is because I think it really does come back come down to the politics in individual states yeah um and try to you know get uh control as many you know state legislatures and you know office of governors across as many states as possible to make that different and in rural states more than anywhere else i mean the proportion of seats uh per population has always been this distorted um you know California has a largest population, you know, more than, you know, the whole Midwest combined. Right. Has, you know, what is it, like two Senate seats or something like that? Yeah. I mean, it's like completely, uh, you know, our, our idea of representation on the national stage is like so distorted. Um, so it really is about, um, you know, state state politics uh, being uh, a real battleground. And I think when we talk about organizing, I think we over-focus on national, pres- national uh, mm. elections and pre- the presidential election in particular, yeah. which is why now you're seeing, like, you know, this time you're hearing so many people talk about, well, this is why the midterms matter. Midterm- it's the most important midterm election of your lives because it has to be a check on the presidential. Well, we should think about congressional seats and Senate seats that way all the time, yes. not just this time, um, and not just because because, you know, it looks good for a party to win both, 
you know, the the White House and Congress and this, you know, and uh, have control over the Senate. But because it it matters to have control in those places, even if it looks like you might lose a presidential race. Um, but same is true for state legislatures. I mean, it means nothing to be able to, um, you know, try to do the bits and pieces that are left for the federal government to do under their jurisdiction when the states can do the complete opposite and undermine that or, or skirt that. Um. And I think that the Republicans um, understood this better. Mm-hmm. Uh, they have quietly been taking over state legislatures for 20, 30 years. Mm-hmm. And while, you know, Democrats, like you said, always think about putting a Democrat in the White House. The White House only matters to a certain extent. Mm -hmm. And the country was built that way. Mm -hmm. That's what it's there for, is that um, state state rights, state legislatures, it was all to put a check on executive power. Mm -hmm. And so when you know i don't like whenever the republicans decided to do whatever they were going to do i think it was after the civil rights movement they were like fuck this shit mm-hmm. okay we're we're going to quietly just lap up we're we're going to have a plan mm-hmm. and they had a long-term view mm-hmm. that i think that as pro- like progressives just don't have i think it's just the democratic party and the way it's structured and yeah. the fact that there is no that there is a very divided democratic party like nationally speaking but i mean that's irre- like that should be irrelevant to the fact of getting good you know get people in even exactly even yeah. where they may be um you know a lot of southern democrats in an area that may have you know divisive views on certain things well then try to change that try to organize like you should be put we should be putting resources into yeah. uh bringing more people into the party so that it's not just you know well, I'm mimicking all... the Republicans in the South just to get elected. That's yes, the other, that's yes. the other problem. Yes, right? yes, is that the Democrats have a tendency to be too wishy washy on what their values are, and so they will accept any little anybody as long as they can win, mm-hmm. and that provides that creates fissures in the party. Mm-hmm. Um. I was listening to The Daily. Uh, One of the episodes of The Daily was talking about um, uh, pro-life Democrats. And Mm -hmm. I'm like, why did you become a Democrat? Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And there's a party there for your (laughs) pro-lifeness. It's called the Republican Party. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's why I'm not too mad at Trudeau for doing what he did in terms of caucus. And basically saying, hey, this caucus is X, Y, and Z. Mm-hmm. It's it's pro-choice. Mm-hmm. Sorry. You know, I don't hate on it. I get why people are upset about it. But the problem is, is that when you, when you don't state the, your values, you cannot coalesce around them. Mm-hmm. And now is the time when you have to do that. And I find that the Democratic Party is not doing that because you know, they have Chuck Schumer's talking about fucking both sides. I want to punch him in the face. Can I, can I just say, oh my God, he is the worst. And this is exactly why people want to run from the democratic party Mm -hmm. is because they don't stand up for values and they don't Mm -hmm. state their values. Mm -hmm. And I always keep saying this, 
But there is also a method and a process in a, in and a strategy to kind of how do you take back the country is going right. Mm-hmm. It is going right. And um, there are many ways it has co-opted. It is co- like the Republicans have co-opted the language of men's rights activists mm-hmm. and the Nick Chernovich Chernoviches or Mike Chernoviches and the and the Alex Jones and so on and so forth. They have co-opted that language it and created these conspiracy theories. And I really do think that this is. Um, a reaction to President Obama's not only election, but his re-election. Because I really do think that that's when they were like, holy fuck, this country's changing and white people are going to be at the back of the bus. Fuck this shit. That's my thing. (laughs) (laughs) Um, All right. So now we are on to rent and receipts. Okay, we're back with rent and receipts where we each bring a story so that the other one today (laughs) can uh, comment or rant or whatever. So, Amy, what you got? Uh, I don't even know where to begin. Okay, so this probably could have been in this week in feminism, but um, I anyway. We would have been remiss not to talk about it. So this week, Doug Ford announced that he is rolling back uh, some of the changes to the Fair Workplaces, Better Jobs Act, Bill 148, that was introduced by the previous liberal government. Um, And I am just fucking livid over this. And there's so many things to talk about. Well, we'll try to give you the highlights of why you should all be fucking outraged. So if you recall, Bill 148 introduced changes to minimum wage, bringing it up to $14 an hour with an increase to $15 an hour uh, coming soon. Uh, Vacation entitlements, sick leave, and ensured that workers were offered those two days paid sick leave annually, which honestly is like fucking nothing. Like that's half a cold, but okay. Uh, it enforced um, equal pay for, sorry, equal pay for part-time and full-time employees who are doing the same work. It changed rules around shift work and on-call workers, giving them more notice before schedules could be altered. You know, like basic decency. Like literally that's what this bill was. But, not without a hard fight. This th- to get Bill One to Bill One Forty Eight took years upon years of activism, of lobbying by workers and groups of workers that are especially hard to organize. Right, temp agency workers, part time workers, casuals. You know, folks who are very hard to unionize, aren't part of unions, who are in precarious employment positions and have difficult, like, are in place in difficult positions and, uh, you know, unable because of that to speak out and organize the way that other workers typically can. Um, and despite that, people did organize, workers got together, uh, created coalitions, created uh, created groups like f- the 15 in Fairness campaign and lobbied for this change. It was historic, much needed, and, and I think like a huge step in the right direction. And now we're going 
significantly backwards. Doug Ford is saying that he was going to freeze minimum wage till 2020, uh, that they're so no longer tied to inflation, that it's reverting back the minimum wage to what it was. Two days paid sick leave are no more. There's no more emergency leave. It's going to be harder for people. All the changes around making it easier for folks to unionize are gone. Um, so all this, all this sort of, you know, garbage changes and you know in the week that this happens uh there is uh tragically yet another death at fiera fine foods to the bakery uh in the toronto area and you may remember uh there is uh a great toronto star investigation from 2017 where uh uh, reporter, uh, their worker health and safety reporter, uh, Sarah Mushetzad, uh, did an went undercover as a worker at this company, and this is a, an industrial bakery, and she uh, worked there. Uh, for a period of time, the bakery hires only temp agency workers and it doesn't offer very effective health and safety training. It is, uh, you know, it, 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 bear, it takes no responsibility for training workers in a lot of other ways. Um, and there have been historical, like a number, rec- you know, a significant number of, of health and safety complaints made about this particular bakery. Uh, and, uh, and, and there had been a recent death, uh, then when she, uh, when, uh, the Toronto investigation uh, happened. Um, and now again, there is a worker in his 40s who was killed Thursday night when he was pinned between a tractor trailer uh, and the loading dock uh, at a uh, at one of the uh, suppliers uh, for Fiera Foods. Um, and, uh, you know, just, just an at, like an absolute tragedy of a workplace health and safety incident for someone who was, um, in a precarious employment position, um, that's being investigated by the ministry of labor. Um, and again, you know, it just rem- like reminds you of how uh, difficult this all was. Um, the, you know, the incident, uh, uh, of uh, the woman last year or a couple of years ago who did, who did die, Amina Diaby. Uh, she, the company ultimately pled guilty and was fined $300,000 under the Occupational Health and Safety Act for her death. She was 23 year old temp worker who was strangled when her head scarf got entangled in the machine, uh, which had not been adequately guarded. So these are all things. Holy these are, shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So these are preventable accidents um, that the employer was completely lax on health and safety stuff, but also that you had people who were in a precarious situation. They weren't even getting paid. They're not getting paid by this company. They're getting paid by a temp agency who they had to go pick up checks from, from a like loan, like a, uh, you know, like a credit, u- like not a credit union, but like a, a, a loan place essentially to get paid out. There was like this whole scheme of around how they like hid where they were getting the money from so that you couldn't be like, this is who the true employer was or organize around them. So they created like shell company or shell kind of yeah like more or less there's like a whole structure and if you could if you if you are keen you should absolutely read the 2017 star investigation you should read about uh this this most recent worker who lost his life on the job um but and think about bill 148's repeal and and rollback if in this context Mm -hmm. that there are you know it there is people's livelihood and it's also their lives uh that are that are absolutely at jeopardy here uh i've seen some some 
some commentary online around the minimum wage stuff. You know, folks are saying, well, well, it's just minimum wage. It's entry level. People work up from that. In fact, you know, teenagers can get by on minimum wage. What is with this teenage? It's such garbage. This teen, this idea that everybody working minimum wage is like, is like 16 to 22 it's fucking it's it's fake news it's fake news 82 percent of minimum wage workers are not teenagers 40 percent are older than 35 more than 60 percent are women 58 percent of minimum wage workers work full-time so you know it's not and 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 that to say nothing of how many have multiple jobs that are all minimum wage. So you may have multiple right. part time jobs, but right. fifty eight are doing full time work as uh, on a part time basis. Right. So it, you know it's uh, it, you know com- complete myth that minimum wage is a temporary state. Uh, and that anyone can can work up from there. That is absolutely not true. I mean, it, it should be true that you don't p- get paid minimum wage for your whole damn lo- like life, essentially. But that's not been the case. And because minimum wage has historically and certainly will not be anymore tied to inflation, that's another problem. That it's stagnant and that it actually is not keeping a pace with what your costs uh, to to live and work are. Um, CBC did an interesting thing where they fact checked all the bullshit that we've been hearing from the or you know places like the Chamber of Ontario Chamber of Commerce that have predicted you know that Bill One Forty Eight was going to cause you know uh, a loss of one hundred and eighty five thousand jobs in Ontario. Well, the reality total bullshit. In fact, the unemployment rate has dropped. From 6% to 5.4%, the lowest it's been since 2000. The Chamber of Commerce predicted a big raise in prices as well. But the province's annual inflation rate is still at a modest 2.2%. The Chamber of Commerce predicted that businesses would take $23 billion hit from the reforms. um, And the government's own figures show that the business profits are actually up in the last six months uh, of 2018. So... You know, it's it's just lie after lie concern. And, you know, again, another form of fear mongering that the Ford government is happy to 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 take um, to take and and make policy around. Um, You know, it's it's dangerous. It's harmful. It's it's setting us up so far back. um, And. You know, it's it's not just, you know, it's not you or I who are affected by this, but it is, you know, poor, poor folk, folk that we don't talk about. We talked about on the last podcast how, you know, politicians talk about middle class family, middle income people. No one talks about working class, even though working class folks are actually a very large segment of the population. They are contributing untold amounts to, you know, the, the operations of our personal days and of our you know society. I mean, you know, these in, and mo- most of most folks do work for industrial, uh, not just not industrial, but rather corporate large scale enterprises that could certainly afford to pay them. These are not mom and pop operations. Fiera Foods is charging us God knows what to buy in the you know, industrial bake- bakery products at you know in stores across the province. You know they're charging us five bucks a loaf. Sure. And here and here they are relying on temp workers who are getting paid minimum wage whose paychecks are not dependable, you know, are like you know, probably have all sorts of payroll issues whatever else. Um and deductions. And deductions and you know 
in the pro and and not seeing you know remotely their fair share of the profit um so anyway i'm i'm really fired up about this i think i i i don't everyone should be fucking like you know out in the streets on this issue um there are some businesses that have been um trying to counter that culture because the problem is the business world is treated as a monolith and that they all speak through the ontario chamber of commerce fuck the ontario chamber of commerce they do not they do not um you know uh posted something yesterday simon's uh the canadian retail giant right but that's Simon's in Quebec. It's Quebec minimum wage is $12 an hour. Simon's has made their minimum wage for their employee entry-level pay at $16 an hour. That's $4 over the minimum wage. If they did it in Ontario, that would just be $2 an hour more. And what they said in Quebec was... This is affecting productivity. We get people who come in; they can't afford, you know, they can't afford to say or they're doing multiple jobs. We can't train them because they're not here for long enough. We want to invest in people. We want them to stay and be happy and to work longer um, with us in terms of duration, not just this high turnover rate. Yeah, um, because turnover costs money. Turnover costs money. It affects training and and it affects um, the product. It affects productivity. Yeah. And you know, at the end of the day. Every business is better served by having healthy, happy workers. Yeah. The thing around the two days sick day, I mean, two days sick day, that's fucking nothing. Two days paid. I mean, self protections around some unpaid sick days. But the, but you know, folks working through illness is harmful for productivity. It's harmful for public health. Like there are so many reasons. I mean, like great public interest reasons, but also, you know, in the interest of business owners wanting to operate successful businesses, you know, would benefit from these protections. And yet we've let the conversation be run by folks who are hiding what their true intention is. And their true intention is for shareholders and executives to care, to, to win, to gain the largest margin of, of income. That's exactly Without being it. accountable for that's why exactly that is. It. And here is, okay, I'm he, done. I gotta be done. Cause otherwise I'll, I can't. Yeah, um, yeah. That's fine. Here's, here's the other thing. The, um, the, Economic policy now is based on, you know, shareholder returns. It never used to be. Mm. There used to be a time when economic policy would be, uh, would benefit not only the economy, but a large swath of workers and people and just in general. But when you have, you know, the business news network or report on business from the Globe and Mail, when they're dominating the conversation around economics. This is my problem, Mm -hmm. is that business interests dominate the conversation around economics. Economics and business is different, Mm. okay? Business is only one input to the economy. Mm -hmm. And so this idea that we need to take our lead from business on the economy is something that is perpetuated not only by the conservatives but by the liberal the liberal government so i mean and now we are touting business to make social policy yeah like what the fuck is that like i i just think that we've just gone so far right that all of a sudden like going a little bit left seems like radicalism. <laughs> right. You know, like I I love that, you know, 
the whole idea of 15 and fairness is this radical idea. It's not fucking radical. It's it lit, makes yeah. sense. Yeah. And it is literally the, the minimum l- the <laughs> minimum you could do. I mean, it's exactly what we're talking the minimum wage, not even what weight like, you know, it's not it's the, the furthest thing from what it's being touted as is the, some sort of redistribution of wealth, which frankly I would be all for. But like it is literally just setting a floor for the you know the lowest you can abuse a worker who's giving you and, their and, blood, sweat, and tears. Yeah, and let's let's stop about this job killer business, okay? Because it's true. You know what kills? You know what kills productivity? Turnover, mm. loss of product, like loss of experience too, mm-hmm. corporate experience. Because who the fuck's training these people? Yeah. If you have nobody staying at your business, how are they going? How are you going to train new entrants? Are you going to do it? My guess is not. That's that's another thing. I'm just I'm just tired of a the short term thinking in terms of labor. We we have not done a good job of of control having more input or controlling or framing the labor conversation Mm. because it always comes down to what it costs businesses Mm -hmm. because all a business has to do is saying well we're laying off workers no the fuck you're not yeah okay you know why because you have none well and also why don't we institute better layoff protections that's like there and is a way protections to, there, too. There, like there is a way to safeguard around you know businesses taking their work elsewhere or trying to un, like artificially you know shrink the size of their workforce when it's not so required right like that's that's the thing and i i feel you know what i see and then there's this like This is why I'm like, I have this strategy for LinkedIn. Like, I'm going to just blow up my LinkedIn profile (laughs) because LinkedIn is full of corporate sycophants and Mm -hmm. I can't. I can't with them. Okay. I just can't. I write because honestly, like, thank goodness there are a lot of like people who are doing like work on, on, you know, in certain organizations and that's why I keep it. But I swear to God, I'm just going to do like a big LinkedIn fucking blow up because I am tired of people buying into the shit and this, I, this reasoning, well, businesses won't be able to keep, be kept afloat. Yeah. You know why? The economy is doing well mm-hmm. in Ontario, mm-hmm. so they can afford it. Mm-hmm. You're telling me that they can't afford a minimum wage? Like, <sighs> well, and companies benefit from being in a province that has good services, good health care, good other things that they don't have to pay for through benefits or other protections. Like, it is, it should be considered. A treat to have a business open in Ontario, uh, assuming that we have all the good social programs that we ought to have, which is, you know, a properly funded healthcare system and all of these other things that mean for us, you know, um, you know, healthy and happy people um, to be part of your business model and just generally part of the community that you're operating in and part of your clientele. Like these things, you know, the idea that business would threaten to leave to go to uh, a place where the minimum wage is less, you have to wonder what other things are deficient in those kinds of environments as well. Yes. Um, and, you know, 
I just don't think businesses should be guiding economic policy. No, I'm period. Not. And they do. And that to me is disturbing. So when pe- when the question is asked, why are workers, why is, why are real wages of workers stagnant for the last 30, 35 years? This is exactly why. Mm-hmm. Is because um, businesses have, and I'm not talking about small mom and pop shops. I'm talking about industry mm-hmm. has undermined labor progression for decades and we have had successive governments who have not only allowed it but have have been proponents of it the other thing too is that if business does not pay workers eventually taxpayers will and the there at plus the rise in income inequality it should trouble everybody because you know what leads what what income inequality leads to violence it does eventually it leads to violence you know like all we have to do is look at the french revolution <laughs> i you know i <laughs> i just like it's all connected people it is all connected anyway that's i i really have a rant on, like, I mean, so I'd be fine with a little shit. violence if it meant revolution. You and me, you know, I am just like, <sighs> eventually, if things get that way, I'll be like, I told you. <laughs> I, I will just be like, see, this is what you get. This is what you get. It's inevitable because, you know, when people have little to lose, they have a tendency to get a bit upset. To, to some degree, uh, although I don't anticipate that happening here so much. Well, that's because we have certain protections still. Mm-hmm. But can you imagine if those protections yeah. start, you know, those protections aren't guaranteed as we see. And um, it seems to me like they're consistently being undermined in Ontario, like they, like we just talked about with the Republican Party that has spent 40 years undermining certain protections. So all I'm saying is that we're just a little behind. That's it. That's all. But you can see the outcome. The violence in America is scary and don't think it won't happen mm. here. That's my point. Okay, so I will carry on with my rent and receipts, which has more to do with, um, yeah, Amazon. You know, I, I hate, here's another example of a corporation being touted as greatness. And I'm sick of people treating Amazon like it's the second coming because it's shit. Okay, so Amazon pitched its facial recognition technology as a tool for U.S. Immigration and Customs Enforcement, ICE. Employees in the Amazon Web Services Cloud Computing Unit met with a federal agency in California to present its artificial intelligence tools. Facial recognition technology can scan a face and run it against tens of millions of faces in a database to find a match in a single record. Real-time facial recognition technologies like recognition 
which is Amazon's facial recognition technology, can scan a crowd using live video feeds. The software enables law enforcement to track individuals from cameras in public places. The American Civil Liberties Union, ACLU, in May criticized the use of the technology by police departments in Oregon, Oregon, and Florida, saying it threatens civil rights. Arming ICE with real-time facial recognition surveillance technology could severely increase the agency's enforcement power and make undocumented immigrants afraid to seek out vital services in places where cameras could be located. During this administration, ICE agents have targeted immigrants trying to enter and leave medical facilities and houses of worship despite an official policy that discourages apprehensions at sensitive locations. With facial recognition surveillance technology, ICE could automate and surreptitiously surveil these and other public locations permanently by setting up video cameras and linking them to Amazon software. What's more, Numerous studies have shown that facial recognition technology is more likely to mistakenly identify people of color and women as targets, which could lead to wrongful arrests. In an infamous example from 2015, Google's AI-powered photo-tagging system classified some black people as gorillas. In a paper published this year, Researchers at MIT and Microsoft found that facial recognition systems are far less accurate at identifying non-white people and women than white men. So um, this is a big, big concern of mine, this this use mm-hmm. of big data uh, by the state um, and actors of the state to either identify people and further marginalize them. And I would just like to say, white people, if you think this is not going to happen to you, I would um, I would say that's very short-sighted and idiotic. And not because it's only starting with immigrants, but think of big data and AI-powered technology that is be, that will be used by the state to check your credit report before you're able to vote. And I would like to and I would like to say that don't think that that isn't coming. Um, so I, I had this question for Amy in terms of where sort of the legal system is on this right now. I would guess it would be behind in some way. I mean, it's, of course, I, mean, I don't know because I don't it's work not in this vote, area yeah. of law, but um I mean, I imagine it's definitely behind. I mean, in terms of, well, I'll say this. There is, the law is behind, the the law made significant strides on issues of privacy uh, in Canada and the U.S. In, in, in recent years. And privacy is, in the legal sense, still considered a very um, important, paramount individual right. Um, and that infringements or breaches of privacy in, you know, in in your life are considered, you know, one of the things that must be utmost protected. Okay. Um. So I guess my um 
my my issue number one is that lawmakers don't seem to understand technology in general Mm -hmm. so um for example like just watching congress like grill facebook i was just like you don't get how this works do Mm -hmm. you so there's a generational issue there where i feel as though lawmakers are so far removed from the realities of people of a digital life so to speak Mm -hmm. that they don't may not even see this as an issue in the same way that it is becoming an issue. So, for example, um, teaching a judge how Twitter works or how <laughs> Instagram works sure. or or uh, and the implications thereof is like really like pulling teeth, I would imagine. Um, I mean, potentially, not necessarily. I think uh if you're talking about privacy mm. and why privacy matters, I think there are a lot. I think that is still where the law is at. Mm-hmm. Um, that that privacy is um, paramount thing that needs to be protected. Um, you know, there are even some cases, but uh, around um, you know use of Google Street View depicting right. certain things and whatever else and so if you're in your home you obviously have a reasonable expectation of privacy but if you're in a public space you're not and the question is whether or not uh, those places are private places the like online forums whether or not those are uh, private for private citizens or public in the case of uh, or a use of a public resource in the case of public how a public officials use them in term, but but I mean we there are so many unknowns and that's the reality of it these things are extremely complicated I don't think we're anticipating how uh, certain data will be used um, and whether or not any of the aggregate of that data is a breach of privacy is one thing, mm-hmm. but facial recognition is something that is so individually connected that it's a bit different than questions of data mining in and of themselves because it is actually about targeting uh, an individual, which I, I think is pretty terrifying. Um, and frankly, all of this um, government using these types of tools to encroach on our, our lives or potentially, um, you know, jail and imprison and restrict the uh, movement and, and uh, free, like very clear physical freedoms of individuals um, is especially troubling. And we talked about that as well uh, with the uh, 23andMe kind of DNA uh, right. uh, results being used to um, uh, deport uh, individuals whose uh, immigration right. papers don't quite indicate where they are uh, or, or you know they've been rejected from some countries on deportation orders and right. so they want to send them somewhere so they start going down the list of things that show up in your 23andMe results like mm-hmm. no appreciation of, of what that data is and no re- and, and not reconciling with what that how uh, how a use of a tool like that drives with the basic principles underlying all like immigration and uh laws around um anyway well i um i posted something else uh i think i posted about this on on facebook (laughs) yeah the irony Uh uh-huh um i got that um and somebody who is actually doing their phd on this issue um 
provided a comment and the comment was that, okay, facial recognition software is being implemented everywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, and they aren't, it, they aren't taking a photo of your face. This is how they get around the privacy right. law. It creates your face from tiny data points everywhere. And everyone has a unique data print on their face but because it's not photos it's data sets it actually completely goes around any sort of privacy legislation in many jurisdictions because it doesn't count as quote-unquote personal information and so many of these spaces can be it can be argued people do not have a reasonable expectation of privacy mm-hmm. And that is yeah, that, fucking I mean, concerning. That's the, that's the concern. Yeah, yeah. For sure. That is really troubling. Yeah. Really, really troubling. Um, I mean, just also just to get back to something else you said, it's like a little bit switching gears. Like the way we treat and deify people like Jeff Bezos and Amazon, yes. I think it's just like absolutely outrageous. It's gross. It's gr- it's gross. It's completely um, undeserved. Um, I think, you know, these are people who did something and stumbled in and had a lot of, I mean, that a lot of folks were trying, right? Like think of early internet and like whatever the like internet boom, like the dot-com boom or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the subsequent dot-com crash, like people were inventing and like that's really cool or whatever. But like at the end of the day, you know, this is still like, this is someone who through happenstance, has been able to capitalize and like, you know, actually like capitalize in like the, the capitalist sense of the term right. on, you know, e-commerce. Like that's a really, he's not like someone who's invented uh, anything quite in particular, but he has upended, you know, certain aspects of publishing and, and uh, you know, book sales and whatever else, but not necessarily for a greater good. And I think like the benefits of that have yet to be seen. And in fact, we have to like be really critical because people like people like Jeff Bezos use their wealth to infiltrate spaces they have no business in. Yes. Um, and like use, healthcare? Well, like healthcare and like the wash, like owning the Washington Post. Yes. And using, you know, uh, you know, like shrinking that gap between like, uh, objective media and you know media that that serves him i think that's really troubling yeah um i think we should all be troubled by that i mean jeff bezos uh well first of all the washington po- yeah the washington post well i'll just start with this washington post recently did a survey of republicans and democrats uh so keep in mind it is a washington post owned by jeff bezos but let's assume he's not tampered with these results Uh, (laughs) the survey asks it's not crazy it's not crazy survey asked uh republicans and democrats uh their views on confidence on democracy and other things including institutions and institutions divided it it described broadly and in a survey where institutions could mean executive branch religion, banks, major companies, local police, Congress, local government, military, courts, political parties, state government, uh, philanthropy, nonprofits, Facebook, Amazon, Google, organized labor, FBI, press, colleges, and universities. Those are the options. Instead of being like tech companies, there are like individualized Facebook, Amazon, Google in this survey on par with the executive branch and local government and military. But okay, keeping that in mind, (laughs) 
<laughs> the cer- and then major companies. Yeah, and then major companies <laughs> as if they're not that. And then it turns out, of the list, Democrats think that they have the uh, Democrats have the highest confidence in Amazon. Amazon is number one institution that Democrats have confidence in, and num and Amazon is number three. For Republicans, there are other really interesting outcomes of this survey, and if you want to read it, it's kind of neat. Like you know, of Democrats, uh, pl- put you know have the t- lowest expectation of the executive branch or faith in the executive branch as like the president, right? As yeah. a public institute, as an institution, Republicans have it number four. Like those cleavages are interesting, and that one's somewhat predictable, but it's still amusing. Y- you but know- Amazon, yeah, Amazon puts itself in this fucking survey and everybody's like tripping over themselves be like oh yes I have a lot of faith in Amazon they do deliver next day this is exactly why I hate LinkedIn (laughs) this is exactly it okay (laughs) I am like angry LinkedIn is like is like is 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 the is the stand-in for just my 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 rage at the whole like structure and Amazon but Amazon has been touted as this great um, you know, efficient because apparently efficiency should be the number one goal of any country. Um, efficient, broad based. Um, and the other thing too is because he and Trump don't get along, he all of a sudden assumes the quote unquote good guy role for for Democrats certainly for Democrats. I mean, and I yeah. think that's part of the whole like Democrats seeing seeing Amazon is so great. I also think the Democratic Party is also um mainly people who are college educated and high income who can take advantage of, you know, Amazon and their rates, for example. But at the end of the day, Amazon isn't a platform it's not i mean I, I, in that survey i'm like facebook i get it facebook is to my and like now in my opinion facebook is a place yeah it is a place where we gather it should like it's unfortunate that it's private like it's a private forum that we have no control over and it's not uh, an, an institution that responds to the people who make up the institution it is a private and it's imposed on us but that's where a place that we meet and it is there's something different about it google is running our lives google's in the background of everything we do fine maybe a little bit different amazon is a literally an e-commerce like plug as a place to buy shit some of it made by Amazon, some of it made by like untold, like, you know, numerous other types of manufacturers to say that Amazon is like, you know, some like big, like it's just a plat. It's like an online Walmart. It's yeah. what it is. It, it basically It's an is. online Walmart that sometimes you can watch shitty movies and TV shows on that they don't have on Netflix. And I guess it's okay because it brings some variety to my life. They have communities. So it's like fine. But, you know, it's not. I refuse to pay. I, I really do refuse to pay for like the Washington Post. So I had to open this in incognito. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> well, look, you know, like Jeff Bezos, head of Washington Post, has, you know, now supposedly in the news business has not said one word about Washington, a Washington Post journalist who we've all been sure been following the story of Jamal Khashoggi, who was killed by Saudi Arabia um, operatives in Turkey. This is a 
well-known and respected reporter, every person in the news industry, everyone in media, every journalist is, you know, going out, going to great lengths to underscore why it's important that people speak out on the deaths of journalists, what this means for free press and media, what it, whatever else. And where the fuck is Jeff Bezos? Nowhere to be found. Oh, but by the way, he did meet with the Saudi crown prince, Mohammed bin Salam, uh, last year. So, you know, God knows what other deals or like relationships he has on a corporate level with Saudi Arabia or why he is like so like it's it's a it's a deafening silence from the owner of the fucking washington post this like is this ex- is it's greasy is it's so gross. gross it's so gross it is fuck you're right it sorry, is sorry this it's is like, just an anti-amazon no, rant but they is- also should not be facially recognized doing right facial no you should Why do we get go, on this? go go on your anti-amazon i'm here for it Ugh. okay i am here for it because the whole thing is it goes back to the fucking idea that business is the driver of politics yeah, now yeah. and that should fucking yeah. scare yeah. everybody yeah. burn it down like who who is who is bezos answerable to no nobody one. no one but himself like he is this like the, uh, he's only and don't tell me shareholders either not even Okay, don't even tell me about shareholders. No, he is serving himself. It is the cult of Jeff Bezos. And you're right. I should go on your rent. I'm here I should for delete, the rant. I should delete my Amazon account. I just don't. I just don't believe in, <laughs> in paying for the for half the shit. <laughs> like, I come from the Napster era and I'm like, mm, I, I'll, I'll open an incognito. Thank you, Washington Post. That's the funny. other thing, too, is that. It, you know, I don't think of the Washington Post as the authority on shit. I think that like media has been so um, decentralized in this way that I feel like I can get the same news somewhere else. But a lot of people get their news from the Washington from the Washington Post. Yeah, I agree. And you know, I like the media in general is questionable right now Mm. and i know they just got attacked and blah 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 and everybody's coalescing around media i'm more interested in reporters people are not coalescing around media people are coalescing around journalists hopefully journalists that's what they should be doing i i believe in journalism i believe in journalists um opinion writers are not journalists first of all um and i i but the institution of media has it's it's a problem and you know these institutions that became basically uh you know a, either either they were bought by some gazillionaire or they're answerable to shareholders is exactly a problem is another way that business is driving our collective citizen experience and a collective citizenry and that is a problem i also i'm looking at this this rank and i'm wondering how did the democrats rank the military as number three ew yeah the whole thing seems weird it is gross and it just goes to show the democrats are just as involved in this in this um like the same type of american hegemony that we talked about in having to do with the migrant caravan mm-hmm. and like what else is here let me see this shit the fbi is number five gross 
uh, well, nonprofits are number six, yay. Uh, for the Republicans, the military is number one. I'm surprised the executive branch isn't number one, to be honest. What else we got here? Local police, number two, yay. Number three is Amazon. Really? For Republicans? Yeah, mm-hmm. okay, that would make sense. Executive branch, number four. Religion, number five. Banks, number six. Like, Jesus. Okay. (sighs) Democracy dies in darkness, apparently. Washington Post. Anyway, um, I I don't know much more to add except to expand on a rant that I'm already on. So I will end it there unless you have something to say, Amy. So now, so I guess we're going to leave it there, everybody. Um, Check us out on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash bad and be podcast on Twitter at bad and bitchy on Instagram at bad and bitchy pod. Email us with your own, I guess, rant or love notes or hatery. Hatery. <laughs> I just made that up. Okay. Badandbpod at gmail.com. Subscribe to our Patreon where we give you l- more like long reads, a newsletter. Um, we shout you out, I guess. Uh, Patreon.com forward slash bad and bitchy. And um, yeah, until I'm really just depressed right now. <laughs> I really am. I know. We should have put added some pop culture in there, tried to liven it up. I I don't know what pop culture we would put in there because between Kanye and um, and like uh, even pop culture is shit right now. (laughs) Okay. Well, on that note, bye. bye.